Support for this podcast is provided by Candidate ID, an iSIMS company. Candidate ID is an award-winning marketing automation software built for talent acquisition. It enables recruiting teams to hyper-target, best-fit, most engaged candidates with unique lead scoring and automated marketing campaigns. Candidate ID recently joined iSIMS, and together they're redefining recruitment marketing. Visit CandidateID.com to learn more about transforming your talent acquisition strategy. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 436 of the Recruiting Future podcast. Diversity in hiring is a critical issue for all employers, but many are still struggling with it. So who's doing it well and how much of a role can recruiting technology play in diversifying talent pools? My guest this week is Sean Daly, Head of Resourcing at The Open University. Over the last few years, the Open University has been increasing the diversity of its organisation by rethinking how it does hiring, building an inclusive employer brand and deploying point solution technology, which helps to enable these strategies. Hi, Sean, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Matt. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Could you just introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Brilliant. We'll do. Yes. So I am Sean Daly. I'm the head of resourcing for the Open University, which is the UK's largest university and is the leader in remote learning. And in fact, the pioneer in remote learning set up way back in 1969. But uh, I've only been here for for three years. Um, but it's lovely to be here with you, Matt. So thank you so much for the invitation and great to connect with you, having worked with you some years back. It's great to see how things kind of come around. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's brilliant to be talking to you again. And also fascinated in learning more about the Open University and how it recruits. So you sort of mentioned there a little bit about the organization. And I'm imagining the nature of the way that you're structured and what you do throws up some pretty interesting recruiting challenges. Tell us about the recruiting challenges that you that you deal with. It does for sure. And it's been a real learning curve for me for three years as well, because it's the first time I'd ever worked in in a higher education university setting. I had previously done some work with and had some clients in public sector, some local government, but coming into the Open University is just completely unique all in its own because it's not like the other universities because we have over 200,000 students across all four nations of the UK and Ireland, but none of them actually come onto campus and study on a campus, so they're all remote distance learning students. So that brings its own sets of challenges as well. Plus, being the institution that it is, being over 50 years old, being heavily unionized uh, with a lot of staff who've been here a long time, um, also brings um, brings some challenges. And then it's, again, even it's got even more differences because not just being a, a distance learning um, provider, we also, the reason we're called open university is because we don't have the same entry level requirements that other universities have and what that means is it was really set up as a leveler so that people in society that wouldn't traditionally go to university 
can get an education. So a lot of our students, um, a, a lot of our students would be people who perhaps didn't get to go to university when they were younger, and maybe they've kind of had a, a different career or kind of gone from one job to another, or maybe they've kind of got involved in um, having a family and bringing up children, and then as a second chance, if you like, for education, have gone back to education. So typically our, our students study less full-time, although that is changing a little bit now, um, and they will study whilst they're learning. And sometimes that might take them 5, 10, 20 years um, to study. Uh, and so we therefore also um, target and try to support a lot of students from uh, lower socioeconomic backgrounds, um, underprivileged backgrounds. We do some fascinating things with supporting um, students in all sorts of secure environments from prisons and care system. Uh, we do some really amazing things. And on top of that, as well as just being kind of a, a provider of degree and diploma and short course education, we are the largest provider of management apprenticeships in the UK. So we train more nurses, for instance, on the job than any other organization. We do a lot of work with all the policing organizations as well and people may or may not know this but if you look at things like the the really famous blue planet green planet all those series with the bbc well we've had a 50-year production relationship with the bbc whereby they do all of the production and we provide the academic research and expertise so we do all sorts of things which make it really nuanced really fascinating place it's not one thing or another to so getting under the skin of what it is and how it operates and how to do recruitment well for uh, for that type of institution has been a brilliant and fascinating challenge for me. I can imagine. And 50 years ahead of your time in terms of remote learning and remote work. And- yeah. yeah, but that's an interesting point that you make there. So yes, the Open University is famed for innovation and being ahead of its time. And I must admit that when I joined, probably my perception was that it was going to be a little bit more innovative and cutting edge than it was. The brand for students, and I think because of the alignment to things like the BBC, is really, really strong. We've got 96% UK brand penetration. We're an institution like the BBC. People know who we are and pretty much know what we do. But then, of course, what you realise is you come in and you look under the bonnet, so to speak, and um, all is not necessarily what you expect it to be. You then you then find out the aspects of the, the organisation and the culture that are encumbered by being a 50-year-old organization that's perhaps not so open to change, certainly not not, not in, in equal measures across everywhere. And then add on to that, I think, how do I phrase this? The university has, and at times is still innovative, but in a way, some of the innovation over the years has caused us our own problem in that we now operate off of a legacy of 350 sort of built in-house, bought, borrowed, stuck together, just a bit falling over systems. And um, therefore, that all needed replacing. So we were under, underway with some massive transformation programs just as I joined. So there was the, the ERP transformation, which was SAP. And for us in, in people services or HR, the implementation of success factors, uh, which was 
imminent when I joined or was in the in the roadmap for when I joined in the first year, but I'm we're now three years in and I'm hoping to restart the implementation imminently and implement it next year. So that'll be nearly four years on from when I joined. So trying to do this scale of recruiting without proper end-to-end and joined up recruitment systems and kind of through that whole legacy infrastructure has been wildly, <laughs> wild, wildly challenging. But at the same time where we've had to find workarounds and I've had to kind of engage colleagues, you know, they've, they've had a, a real sort of can-do attitude to some of the suggestions that um, that I've made. I mean, that's interesting. A few things I want to kind of dig into, dig into there, and find a bit, a bit more about in terms of, in terms of the things that you've done and the results that you've got. To start with, though, let's talk about brand because you, you obviously mentioned that the Open University is a certainly an incredibly well-known and respected brand within the UK. What about the employer brand? Yeah, well, absolutely good pertinent question because what I did find when I joined was that the Open University had always just recruited, no problem, but we had one way of doing it. The team would just put out adverts and in would come the applications. No real, no real effort. Um, good direct sourcing, but you know, all supplemented by lots of agency hiring uh, as well, uh, because perhaps the level of in-house capability and, and sophistication from a talent attraction and uh, recruitment perspective wasn't necessarily that high. And, uh, and when I engaged with my Mar- Marcom's colleagues to get a better, better understanding of how this was all working, what I noticed was that they'd always They've done a lot of work on our, our brand, but nothing on employer brand. So they do lots of market research, much, lots of segmentation and creating personas. Uh, and I remember looking at one presentation. I said, well, this is great. Lovely to see all these eight, perso- eight personas, but you've not considered the view of potential employees. So that's something that I've then been able to do is to, and unfortunately, they've given me quite a lot of autonomy to do it, is to then work with our recruitment, um, branding and marketing agency to create an employer brand, which we, we launched for the first time last year. So the Open University at the beginning of 2021 launched a new student brand um, called Ambition. And then on the back of that, a couple of months later, we went out to market with our Be So Much More campaign. And that's that was a really successful campaign. It was done still in the midst of COVID. So it was perhaps there were some limitations to what we could achieve. And we've learned from that this time around because uh, we're going to do another refresh now. We've learned that, um, you know, perhaps we used a little bit too much stock imagery. And that's probably because we couldn't really get face to face with people and weren't perhaps as comfortable with the remote videoing that, that was probably going to feature in a bit of what we do next. But all the same. We mobilized it really well. We had really good social media um, and, and outreach um, strategy to, to go with it and got some great results, great penetration. Um, it's a number of things that is one of a number of things that we did last year to really enhance and take an employer brand about the Open University out to the UK market. The other thing to say about it as well is that we really focused on diversity and inclusion. So as I mentioned, the, the Open University hasn't typically failed to recruit but that in itself becomes a problem so when you come in new and they tell you that we always recruit and it's roughly around the amount of time that we expect it to take and everything works and it's all okay why do you want to change anything you have to really cleverly kind of play back what's actually happening and when you look at the diversity profile of the open university for the scale and importance of institution it is you then begin to realize perhaps not all is well and actually, we might have been recruiting so-called successfully all these years, but actually we've been recruiting people like us. 
And that was the problem. We had significant underrepresentation for ethnic minorities, for black and Asian employees, uh, significant underrepresentation of people with disabilities and um, neurodiverse conditions, significant underrepresentations of, of women in senior positions and women in senior women in STEM positions. So when we started to play back all of that, we started to craft a specific employer brand um, and attraction strategy to focus on those underrepresentations. And we've seen some really great success. There are a number of things which I think go into it. Some of those are at the outreach stage. So the brand, the attraction strategy, the channels that we mobilized. And then some of those are in our process. So right from the, the, the job design and the inclusive, inclusivity of the, of the language, the accessibility of the mediums that you use, all the way through to screening and shortlisting with things like anonymous recruitment, um, utilizing a database of diverse panelists to get more perspectives into the process so yeah lots of things that we've done last year and, and some of the headline results uh, which we're just kind of going through all the data validation now because they're great are, are things like a 37 percent increase year on year of black and asian appointments 100 percent year on year um, improvement of in um, disability and neurodiverse candidates appointed so some real good successes and, and lots of different things which contributed to it Yeah, absolutely. And again, so many things I want to follow up and ask you about. But in the interest of, of time, I kind of really want to talk about process and, and technology and, and how you do stuff, particularly in the absence of a long-term recruitment system at the moment. Before we talk about that, though, I think it would be really interesting just to hear a little bit more about the anonymous recruitment sort of diverse interview panels part of your strategy. Yeah, absolutely. So, so when I joined, there was an idea from a particular part of the university to run a pilot for anonymous recruitment. Not coincidentally, a couple of the people on their unit, um, equality, diversity and inclusion group were really key proponents for change. One was black, one was Asian, and they were really keen to have anonymized recruitment process that would take away what they felt was certainly a barrier at some of the front end of the recruitment process. So we worked with them to devise a, a pilot. And I have to say, it was kind of a bit clunky to start with, because I'll be honest, I hadn't really worked out a, a better way to do it either at that point. And it's probably very similar to the way other places do it. And I think even other systems that try to, to find a system solution to do it, which is redacting information from CVs, from applications and covering letters, which is one way of doing it. And, and I would say we did it for six months and we saw very mixed results, nothing compelling kind of either way. It was a very, very difficult process to turn the, um, turn the handle on. Um, so it got me thinking through that process. Well, what is what are we really trying to achieve here? What's the best way to do it? And um, what's the research on this day? What are the different findings from different places? And what I what I got to was a conclusion that actually we were just by focusing on redacting information, we were perhaps missing the point. And the point being that perhaps CVs weren't the answer and CVs were part of the problem. So there's a lot of research that looks at how quickly we read information on CVs, how quickly we create a profile of somebody, even with bits of information redacted, the format of the CV and certain cues in a CV, which are not just related to people's personal identifiers, but perhaps where they went to school, even which company they work at, Matt, you know, the, the, the biases that we have that, for instance, say, say you put, well, I work at, I work at Apple, I work at GE, great, Apple, GE, great companies. Does that mean you're great? 
or have you just been inferred greatness because you work for a strong brand and a well-known company? So actually, what we started to do was look at a way to completely take out the CV and all those type of personal identifiers, uh, which would include personal information, socioeconomic information, ethnic information, employer information, which if people are listening might think, oh my goodness, <laughs> well, what do you use to actually make a selection? I'll come on to that. So what we do is we work with the hiring manager to craft a set of questions based on the role profile and, and the key attributes, based on things around our values and actually our new just in process of, of creating and rolling out behavioral framework. And then we craft questions that candidates at the application stage get to answer. So it's a little bit, if you like, I suppose, like a covering letter, but we're really homing in on what are the what do we see as the key attributes. And we provide some guidance for the candidates to say, please don't give us specific cues and indicators which would would indicate who who you are. So we, we're still working through it. You know, there's pluses and minuses to it. It's certainly not a silver bullet that, that fixes everything, but it does, the feedback overwhelming that we've got is that it does give candidates a sense that we take diversity and inclusion and equality really seriously, that we care if there's undue bias in the certainly in, in the early stages of this recruitment process because we do reintroduce the CV once candidates have been shortlisted and obviously before panelists get to interview people. So there's definite pros and cons to it. I've 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 used it to recruit myself. I've really I've really enjoyed it. It's really challenged myself and those involved we, we convene a panel to to do the recruitment and the selection. It's challenged us to really think through what we're looking for. It, yeah, there's pros and cons to it, but it's been it's been overwhelmingly a good process and one that we are looking to continue using and find a way to use uh, when we implement success factors, because that's one of the other things that it's not an easy thing for a system to do and to do well. So we ha- we've actually had to work with um, our systems integrator to find a bit of a workaround. We did explore whether other platforms could could do this for us but it seems to be something that nobody's really done well yet there are systems out there that will redact information and hide information from you but actually in terms of just completely taking the cv out at that stage and and using a different way of, of of doing the initial assessment nobody seems to be quite there from what i've seen interesting and i think it that does really highlight the amount of work that needs to be done in talent acquisition yeah, and so. talent acquisition technology to to make things better and the challenges that we have in 2022. I suppose moving forward from that a little bit, keen to find out more about your broader recruitment process and also the the technology that you've that you've used to sort of um, you know so, so, so support you in the last couple of years and how that's kind of all fitted together. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, we. T- I mean, we typically have a bit of a one-size-fits-all approach, which is what I've been working to unpick. So, in the university sector, it is commonplace, and, and there's actually a fair amount of um, governance, if you like, and regulation with the unions uh, and the higher education national bodies to, to make a consistent recruitment experience across the sector for people looking to, to move. We predominantly have a, so in fact, we always have a, a, a panel convened, but it's typically tended to be what I call a sort of a one and done. You convene a panel, candidates apply, the panel select, they come to the interview. It's a one interview where they sit in front of what might be three, four, five, or even more people on a panel for an hour, get asked a load of questions, provide some answers. And then they get told they've either got the job or they haven't. It's a really cold process. So we've been working to have different 
recruitment processes for different levels of roles, different types of roles. We've just hired uh, an occupational psychologist to come and work in-house with me and my team to uh, give us really inclusive um, assessment and selection practices for all different types of roles that we uh, recruit. But that, I mentioned that it's been a bit of a cold process because for, from a candidate experience perspective, we're fortunate that we've had the brand that we've that we have and that people do apply to us and want to go through what is, I think, quite a cold recruitment process. I think potentially we've got some challenges to face with the market we've got here in the UK and it might actually be getting, from what we can tell, harder to recruit pretty quickly. But what we were able to do really well with Candidate ID, um, we were able to really find a neat way to funnel the type of candidates that we were looking for and that we did need to engage more so as i've said we you know mostly we don't struggle to recruit however you know there are some areas that that have always been a, a, um, a struggle for us so half of our workforce are associate lecturers so effectively they are the online tutors that our students interact with on a weekly basis um they all work from home they're all remote they've got a real mix of of backgrounds some of them are academics and teachers some of them are uh, different professions just kind of giving something back by teaching a cohort of students um and Typically, a lot of them have worked for us for a really long time. So in order to try and shift the, the diversity profile of that group, you know, we've got to try really hard to reach out to, to, to new audiences with, with, our, with our messaging. But of course, when you do that with the type of system set up that we've got with the front end being an outdated career site that we can't update until we implement success factors, um, when you do that without any real end-to-end ATS or CRM functionality, that becomes really tough. So I met I met somebody from Candidate ID at a conference a couple of years back and was really impressed both by the idea of recruitment marketing automation that just made sense immediately to me. But once we got into conversation, their agility to mobilize a solution which would really just help where I was at and kill two birds with one stone was brilliant. So they were able to host some specific landing pages for us. So as I mentioned earlier, we we went out to market last year with our new Be So Much More um, brand and they uh, they were able to host uh, specific landing pages, firstly for the, the generic teaser campaign that we did, and then secondly for the um, specific uh, underrepresented groups that we were trying to target, and then thirdly for specific job and event campaigns. So one of those, for instance, was an associate lecture online recruitment event, uh, which we hosted on there and promoted through social media, and it generated a 1,000 a thousand event um, applications in four days so it was hugely successful and the candidate id platform allowed us to do that in the absence of having other kind of systems at, at, at hand but not and whilst that was a real benefit to us the actual real benefit that we now got is that people applying for that event and coming along to that event or coming through our talent pool via the candidate id platforms they're now in a CRM system, which is much richer in terms of how we can segment that database. So, you know, it, it had way more people in it than it now does. But through regular comms and asking people if they wanted to be in the, the, um, the talent pool and what they were interested in knowing about, what kind of events they were interested in, what kind of roles they were interested in, we've been able to much more segment and focus and target on uh, particular um, skill sets, particular different areas for not just associate lecturers, but but everything. So that's been a real 
benefit to us and and we're just working through kind of well, what is the what's the business case once we integrate with success factors because uh, candidate ID also integrate with success factors. So we're hoping that there's a really neat way to kind of continue that relationship once we implement next year. So as a final question, obviously there's been a huge amount going on in the last couple of years, you know, both in the, the wider world and obviously the work that you've been doing. What's next? What does the future look like? What kind of sort of innovations are you focusing on for the next 12 to 24 months? That's a good question. So I would say that the that what's next for us, I think that we've got to, we've got to, we've got to continue our our absolute focus on equality, diversity, and inclusion because it's a core part of our five year strategy, which we're just going into for the university. But there there are other targets in there like sustainability as well. So that will come on as a theme and an area that we need to um, recruit into. Obviously, getting uh, an implementation and then my entire end-to-end kind of tech stack and ecosystem working next year is a is a key priority i think also recruiting is going to get harder for us because everybody else in the uk now is starting to or already has started offering hybrid working so we're having to kind of work out well actually where does the ou's employer uh, brand and proposition sit and 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 how do we compete we're in this completely changing environment so i think that's going to get harder and it's going to take more focus for us and as, and in order to in order to do that well we're just entering the next stage of what we started three years ago as part of our um, hr transformation which centralized hr and set up my function in terms of a central resourcing function we're now merging that with some of our other people operations to have a shared service model so we'll we'll drive operational effectiveness and, and delivery through through a shared service model and i'll be left running more like a an area of expertise setting setting the strategy um, consulting uh, and advising the business on on how it achieves um, its strategy through strategic resourcing and strategic workforce planning sean thank you very much for talking to me matt as ever a pleasure really appreciate the opportunity my thanks to sean You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time. And I hope you'll join me. This is my show.